welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Continuing our health and wellness theme for this month on the ABCA podcast is sport dietitian for Ohio State Sports Medicine and consultant of the Department of Athletics, Dr. Jackie Buell. Dr. Buell is a PhD, LDN, CSSD, and LAT. Her bio reads as someone who has invested their career in leaving it better for those behind you. She has a PhD in nutrition from Ohio State, Master's of Science from the University of Arizona in Exercise Physiology, and a Bachelor of Science in Sports Medicine from Marietta College. She was also pivotal in starting the Food Innovation Center, which is an Ohio State University program to help feed the people in the state of Ohio. This is a great one. We tackle all things nutrition for coaches and players. We have a speed round on supplements that is a fun one. I've experimented on myself over the years with supplements, so she helped me with some of the truths and myths around nutrition and supplements. This should be a great resource for anyone in the sporting arena and the general population. Get ready to learn what's going to help you as a human being from a nutritional standpoint. Dr. Buell is a wealth of information and will dish out a ton of inexpensive experience in this one. Let's welcome Dr. Jackie Buell to the podcast. Here with Dr. Jackie Buell, uh, sports dietitian for Ohio State Sports Medicine and consultant for the athletic department. So, Dr. Buell, thanks for jumping on with me. Sure. Glad to be here. Can you talk a little bit about your path uh, for people that don't know who you are? Can you just talk about a little bit how your path along the way and how you got to where you're at? Sure. So um, I was one of those back in the day when we could be a three-sport athlete in high school. So I wanted to do something to do with athletics for my career and uh, went to Marietta College to do sports medicine, which is athletic training down there. And uh, bachelor's in athletic training led me to a master's in exercise science with some athletic training concentration. I always wanted to be at the college level. So that's what it takes is at least a master's. And uh, I was an athletic trainer at Cal UFPA for a couple of years, then Marietta College again for a couple of years, Otterbein College. You know, the way to move up is to become a PhD. So Kids were always coming in the training room and saying, hey, what do you think is in this stuff? You know, and they'd have a little jug of amino acids or something in their hand. And uh, that kind of took me down that pathway of nutrition. So I love it. This is exciting for me because we usually do coaches, but this is preseason for a lot of coaches. So I feel like some of the mental health, nutrition, uh, all the things that are going to help coaches and players get through their season. I feel like this is a great time to do that. You've been doing this for a long time. What are some of the things that you've learned over the years that maybe are good in theory, but not in practice? Good in theory, but not in practice. You know, so many of uh, so many of the young folks, young men in particular, think that protein is the answer to everything. And uh, certainly protein, we need enough, but I commonly refer to it as the nutrient of enough is enough yeah. that you don't need to overdo it on protein. And we can talk about what that is, but I think that's probably the biggest misconception. Everybody thinks carbs are the devil. You know, I think there are some off-season alterations you can use to help body composition. So don't hear me wrong, but when it comes to pure performance, you want to be able to perform. You want to be able to kick booty and take names. You don't want to be sluggish. 
what about post-workout? Because I do have protein. We're going to get into supplementation, but what about post-workout? Is that the right time for protein supplementation? I mean, um, you know, pr protein intake and protein supplementation are really two different animals, right? Protein supplementation contributes to that overall intake, but I like to see athletes do protein centric meals, uh, as well. And, you know, whatever that means for their lifestyle and their eating pattern. Um, you know, I usually put these athletes at, at 1.82 grams per kilogram, maybe a little bit higher depending on their phase of training. And so, you know, it, it's time to personalize diets for people. One size does not fit all. Um, but you'll hear me talk recommendations, grams per kilogram. Most of the research yeah. talks in that way. So do our position stands. Yeah. What are some maybe other misconceptions that are out there with, with uh, college and high school athletes? Man, everybody wants to get jacked up using a pre-workout. I agree with getting jacked up. Whether or not it requires a pre-workout, I guess, is individual as well. But what worries me is um, some of the things I've seen with young people in terms of using stimulants or multiple stimulants, and they don't know what stimulants those are. So, yeah, that, that bothers me, pre-workout stuff. Because that's a different realm, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't know is that anybody can make a pre-workout or a supplement and put it because it's not regulated by the FDA. So it's important to try to figure out where it's actually coming from. Where are some good resources for people to, to maybe vet anything that they're going to put in their body? Where are some resources where they can dive into to vet those, those things they're putting in their body? Sure. I happen to have had the privilege of um, writing the position statement for NATA on dietary supplements. And uh, I would not because it's self-serving, but we've got some great tables in there of different places. We've also got an algorithm of how to kind of check it out to start with a person's eating, make sure they're eating right. And then you need to know, is it NCAA, PGA, you know, in your case, baseball league um, legal? Um, and if it's legal and it's not going to get a positive drug test, then let's look at the particular supplement. Is it vetted as a third-party verified supplement? So there are um, resources in there to help you pin down those answers. There's an awesome resource that was coming out at the time that we published that paper. Supplements 411 um, is a nice website to help young people learn a little bit more about dietary supplements and the level of regulation or deregulation, however you want to look at it. And uh, it also has a high risk list. It seems like when you're signing onto that website that you're signing away your first child, but you're not. Um, you just, it's a free tool. They're just tracking who's getting on there. I'm sure it's a legal thing for them, but it shows you the dirty players. And you know, this is a industry that has been um, just washed with dirty players through time. They're trying hard to self-regulate. And I think we have some great players out there making some really novel products. So, but I think you got to check it out first. You got to know who's good. Well, I've tried to tell players along the way, like you have to do this because a lot of this is outsourced to China. So you have no idea the factories that th this stuff is being made in, um, you know, where there are maybe some homegrown places that are doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what you're, you're right. You got to check that out. Um, you know, we've also got some players in there that are trying to fool people that it's homegrown. So you just got to you got to do your homework. I will say on your comment on China, um, I'm not going to remember Laura's last name at the moment, uh, but used to work in this dietary supplement oversight industry. She gave us a presentation at one of our conferences and she showed some pictures of the actual factories that you're talking about. What? None of us would eat anything or put anything in our mouth that was made there. So, uh, you know, again, you're right. Got to do your homework on it. What do you say to someone that says it's it's cheaper to eat unhealthy? <laughs> okay. That's probably right. You know, and I, I know when when we happen to be from a low-income family and have a socioeconomic situation where we need to be smart about how we're eating, it, that's right. You know, you can get more calories in a fried chicken sandwich than you can some other healthier choice. Um but I think you can still make room in there for things that do your health good. So it's a spectrum. Well, with the human body, at a, as a 15-year-old, you can probably put some things in there that maybe are going to catch up to you as a 35-year-old, correct? Hard to say, right? 
hard to say. Uh, it, it's it's unpredictable who's going to pay the price and not. We're all different. We all have different metabolisms. But I think it's safe to say that if your genetic load's heavy, you probably better be paying attention. Genetics are pretty strong. So if dad had a heart attack young, hello, right? If he's got the paunch, hello. <laughs> Is there a difference maybe in meal frequencies for an athlete? And then maybe meal frequency for an adult, or is it the same? I tried, uh, is, and again, I maybe have some myths, so you can fact check me on, on this, because I was in that realm for 22 years of trying to help players make better choices. Is eating every two to three hours good for athletes? Um, maybe not good for adults? Or, you know, is there a difference? So, yeah, so I don't think there's a great difference, but I think it probably depends on the practitioner you talk to and how they would feel about this. But I definitely think eating every two to three hours is better for our metabolism and better for our satiety, better for our sense of having eaten. People that eat a lot of crap food, they're hungry an hour later looking for more crap food, right, because they're craving it. When if you can get them to have a little bit more protein and fat in their diet, other people think fat's the devil. Uh, I've got macros in my questions and, yeah. and we can dive into the macros portion yeah. of it. So anyway, I'd love to see people eat and it's a matter of how much they eat yes. every two to three hours as to what their body goals are. What are some recommendations and those every two to three hours that maybe might be proper meal every two to three hours is breakfast still important? Is it, is it important? Critical. To, what about, what about calories? before an athlete goes to sleep? I mean, how important is maybe having a, a supplement shake or something so their body has nutrition while they're sleeping? Is that important as well? So I think it, again, it's going to go back to being an individual thing and depends on a person's goals. You know, if you're an athlete that's trying to lose weight, you got to be careful about what that supplement is before you go to bed. Having said that, I'd love them to have something with some leucine in it. I love suggesting athletes use something like a Greek yogurt before they go to bed. Uh, if it's an athlete who's trying to grow and trying to put on some weight, then he gets a double dose of that Greek yogurt with some granola and some dried fruit, maybe a few nuts, right? But somebody's trying to lose weight, I would never suggest that they have something that heavy uh, before they go to bed. So it really depends on your goals. What about case and protein? Is that is that an option? Uh, slower so releasing? Yeah. So, so you're asking a great question, and let me just be clear on where we stand on the research on it, right? Whey, whey and casein are both proteins that are part of dairy products. Um, whey protein, we all know because it's the one that everybody uses after a workout or for their protein shakes. Whey protein hits our body quick. Um, you know, it's kind of like eating sugar. It hits our body quick. It gets to the bloodstream quick. It has a, a hard impact on insulin. It does the things that we need it to do for muscle recovery. Having said that, we don't want to hit the muscle quick when it's time to go to bed. We want to hit it with a little drizzle. And uh, we know that casein is a slower onset protein, meaning it gets digested a little slower, gets absorbed into the muscle a little slower. So it kind of just drizzles all night long, a little protein to that muscle. So yes, but this is why I say use dairy product as food. I don't think it takes a, a particular supplement, right? And if a person is, for whatever reason, uh, trying to eat a more plant-based diet. I'm not opposed to trying to get it through some plant-based proteins, but you got to do your homework and know where your nutrients are. We know that um, uh, within whey protein and within dairy products, leucine is one of our branch chain amino acids that we believe is the uh, muscle trigger, if you will. It triggers muscle protein synthesis or makes us helps us make more muscle. What a great thing overnight for an athlete who's trying to grow a little bit, right? So you don't want to overdo it. Enough is enough. It's protein. So with those every two to three hours, what are some healthy on-the-go options maybe for snacks? So, you know, athlete has a breakfast, and, and I know meal prep goes into this. This is what I always try to stress to athletes. Like, this takes some planning. Um, oh, so yeah. within our time management planner, we try to get them on Sundays to really prep their entire week. Uh, so they'd get it out of the way and players that were in the apartments like, hey, Sunday, especially in the off season, Sunday's a great time to head to the grocery, get everything you need for the week. It's probably going to be cheaper for you to get everything right in one shot. Um, what are some healthy options there in between, you know, maybe those three American standard meals with breakfast, lunch and dinner? Sure. So again, I've already mentioned something like Greek yogurt. Love it because the Greek means it has extra protein in it. 
Greek yogurt is also open to adding a little bit of other nutrients to it. You know, you can add some healthy fats to it by adding some nuts, some chia, anything like that. That also ups your fiber. Um, I, those things are good. I know athletes don't think about fiber, but it, it helps your gut stay healthy and it helps the bugs in your gut stay healthy. So we know more and more that high, high enough in fiber is important too. So oftentimes, if an athlete doesn't have time, at least something like an apple and a mozzarella cheese stick, you know, a good uh, fibrous, meaning it has some fiber in it, apple with great nutrients or an orange or banana. Uh, if it's a banana, it doesn't have to be a big honking banana, just a little bit, right? Maybe a couple of nuts and like I said, something like a mozzarella cheese stick. So what am I hitting there when I'm doing that kind of stuff in my brain? I'm saying a little bit of good quality carbohydrate, a little snippet of protein and a little healthy fat. Yep. That's what I think makes up a good snack. Yep. And, and that's the macros, right? You know, right. fat, carbohydrates, protein. Um, what am I missing there with the macros? And if, you know, if a person, if a person forgot to plan, a little protein bar is not a devil, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think things like pure protein are a brand where it's got a nice amount of protein in it without having a lot of other stuff in it. I encourage athletes to be intentional about what they're consuming. If you're trying to gain weight, it's fine to have just an overall protein bar, like a builder bar, cliff builder bar or something. That's got quite a bit of carbon. And if you're the person who's a little in the off season, barely in the preseason, and you're trying to build muscle, not gain fat. Right. So again, it's individual in my mind, Ryan. Well, and I would tell guys, Hey, look, those, those protein bars that you think are healthy for you, like pick it up and look at the nutrition guidelines and then pick up a Milky Way bar or Snickers. A lot of those are the same. Like people don't, the marketing is tremendous. I mean, marketing people get paid a lot for a reason because the marketing on some of this packaging is like, okay, you, you thought you ate something healthy. You just ate a Snickers bar. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But reading the label is an important, that's probably one of the most important things coaches can, can teach student athletes is how to read that label and, and pick out some of the fallacies and let them do it as a group. They'll, they'll laugh with each other, but they'll learn at the same time. Now, as an adult, I mean, I picked up intermittent fasting and I think it's, it's a little bit of a fad. And so I want to get your take on it for coaches that are listening in. Um, I've added in the last two years, I don't eat anything after 8 PM, but I'm not as active as I was as an athlete. So is, is intermittent fasting okay for, for a 46, for a 46 year old? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So I don't think there's, I'm being sarcastic, of course, uh, I think we want to be careful about adopting things. Again, we're all individuals. If intermittent fasting really does work for you, make sure you're not losing lean mass. Yep. Make sure that the weight that you're seeing on the scale is actually the kind of weight that you mean to, to lose or limit. There are great tools out there. DEXA scans are widely available these days. Um, I have a DEXA scanner and I just love it for this purpose because I think it helps guide people in what they're doing. Um, I see more times than not uh, what happens with the 46-year-old person who's getting that age change-related uh, weight gain around the middle is that it's because we think restricting early in the day makes us deserve a little more at night, right? So after 8 a.m., it's game on. I'm going to have some ice cream because I didn't eat very much all day. And when you restrict most of the day, your metabolism's going, hey, Buster, I'm, uh, I'm uh, not having much here. You know, and then you like fuel it, overfuel it at night, you're, you're going to gain some fat. So I don't think we've seen enough on intermittent fasting. Uh, of course, there are some case studies on it, uh, but there are also some case studies against it. So until we learn more about it with athletes and the real application, the other thing is you look up intermittent fasting, there's like five versions of it at least. Yeah. You know, so what does that mean, right? You're like, uh. I like to see people spread it out, eat, eat small meals, small snacks, get your calories right for what you're trying to do. And calories right does not mean eating way too few. That's the mistake I see the most overall in the lab. People just aren't eating enough for their energy level to get their goals. Well, cause the body's smart, right? Like if you really restrict when you're eating, your body's going to go into survival mode because it doesn't know when it's going to get its next meal or calories. So when you spread those calories out, you can eat a lot more throughout the day by spreading it out. And then the body knows it's going to get consistent calories. So then it'll start to burn. And that's where you start to build some muscle, right? Yeah. 
I completely agree with that completely. I use that kind of analogy a lot with athletes. You know, your, your body can't trust you. It's not going to let go of any fat. Yeah. Now you talked about caloric intake, you know, how, so for maybe a hard gainer or someone that needs to cut back weight, what are maybe some apps that you're using with them or a way to, are you talking food journaling? You know, are you having them write down and track how many calories they're getting just so they know? Cause this is science, right? The more you put in, yeah. the more you're going to yeah. gain, you know, how are you having them track? So I use a fairly old method of uh, counseling and I know some people are just like, Oh gosh, that's so old. But I really think it works for a lot of people. And especially if they're a numbers person, I use exchange planning uh, to show them how much food they need. There's no need if you're using exchange planning and you can get them started right. There's no need for them to track calories, macros, or anything like that as long as they're hitting their targets at each meal and snack. And again, you know, just making sure that they understand what those targets are and how that fits into the plan is a really crucial piece of that. If somebody's going to track macros, the one I hear the most, and I'll tell you my issues with it, is my fitness pal. And it's free. So uh, amen to that. Um, I guess what I like about it is it does allow somebody to, to like kind of keep their feet in the fire and trying to hit their goals. What I don't like about it is that sometimes there's misinformation in it and the things that you choose have wrong numbers and you have no idea. You think it's the Holy grail and it's not really the Holy grail. It's holy. All right. But not in the way that you thought it was right. Some holes in it. Um, I use a uh, Esha, Esha food processor in my research program, which is a, a research grade dietary analysis thing and uh, it has a little food prodigy it's called a, a little side thing that I could give my clients to sign up it's free for them but once they send me how they've done for three or four days I can run it through the fuller program and show them every nutrient that's required by the body and how they did on it so I really like that but again I have access to that not everybody would there is a guy, Tavis Piatoli, who is a great colleague of mine, uh, Eat to Win website uh, that he has that has some nice resources on it in a number of ways. But they've got an app that they use to counsel with. And I suppose for anybody that was really struggling, that would be a nice option without necessarily um, seeing somebody one-on-one -on -one regularly. I'm sure you already know in most states uh, to, to counsel somebody one-on-one -on, -one on their nutrition, you probably should be a registered dietitian. And looking for somebody with the CSSD credential is somebody that's got two years of training with sports and has taken an exam that demonstrates that they're uh, at least a, at a beginning level with sports nutrition. You know, we would give our players 10 rules of recovery and on it was five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables. And I would have freshmen or junior college players that would come to me that that was not part of their diet. And I know parents and coaches deal with this. What are maybe some ways to help players get into that habit of mixing fruits and vegetables in with their meals? Sure. And so, you know, it depends on if they're cooking for themselves or not. Right. Um, you know, I know it's, doesn't feel cool to players to necessarily go to the salad bar, but the salad bar usually has some fruits on it and things like mandarin oranges, they'd be surprised at how good that tastes with meat, right? Or really with any of the, the foods that they're putting on their plate. Um, and so just trying to get them to think about some food combinations that maybe they haven't considered before. Maybe they're not getting a full serving of fruit, but, but a little bit more is better than what they were doing, right? Um, a lot of times if, if it's somebody where mom bakes breakfast muffins for them or something like that, it's not very hard to hide things like zucchini and stuff like that in some of those savory things that we like. My wife is right? very good at doing that. She's See there? She can make some zucchini brownies <laughs> that you can't tell the difference. There you go. And, and not that we want them to load up on brownies, but what if the whole baseball team has one or two of those between games? Whoa, what? Right. Um, in terms of keeping their muscles fueled as well. So, what are your recommendations for pregame meals? You know, for for coaches or players listening in, what what's a proper you know, and how soon to competition? I know baseball is different. Um, oh yeah. And then talk about maybe snacks during the game. You know, for you've been to Ohio State baseball game. They they're going to show up for BP for a, a three o'clock game at one thirty, and they may not be done till seven thirty at night. So. What are some recommendations on pregame meals and then also mixing some snacks in during the game? Competition day. Yep. Yep. By the way, I haven't 
taken the opportunity to say yet, baseball is my favorite sport to work. Love it. These uh, these fellas got pretty level heads compared to some of our other prima donnas out there. So um, thank you for that. I I try to say it's nice to get you know that that validation from sure. someone because I I do feel like baseball players and coaches. There's not as much ego, I think, because our sport lends itself to you can't have an ego in baseball because you're going to get tested every time you take the field. There's going to be a lot of learning involved with a baseball game. So I think that kind of lends itself to, to ego, not not all the time, but ego less people. Yeah. Well, and, the, you know, the, you're right, gets tested quite often and guys aren't shy about letting each other know when they fell short. So that's how it goes. Uh, okay, so back to our question. Our question was about game day and how that should go. So I like pregame meals to happen probably for baseball two, two and a half hours beforehand. If it's more than three hours beforehand, that's not really a pregame meal. Um, and so what should that pregame meal look like? I'd like it to have, you know, three to four ounces of lean protein for, for most of the guys. And I really, big guys don't need any more. Maybe about maybe about half the meal to be some sort of carbohydrate. So maybe a quarter of it as grain and a quarter of it as some sort of fruit. Um, you know, if there is a time to be lower in fiber, it's that pregame meal so that the bathroom piece doesn't come into it. Um, what are some I healthy, like have- what are some healthy grains? You know, somebody that oh, maybe. Gosh. Sure. So, you know, if, if a little quinoa salad or some sort of a whole grain penne pasta salad and, and when we do pasta salad pregame, it doesn't need to have, the real oil, the olives, the cheese, the pepperoni, no. You know, if a guy likes that, amen, have it sometime later, not around activity. Uh, but my learning with these young folks is they really like the really simple stuff. Just cook up some whole grain pasta and, and put some light Italian dressing on it, and they think it's the bomb. You know, get them some of those little mandarin orange cups or something like that. Those are good at halftime as well. Um, but but uh Heavy in carb is what you hear me saying. A little bit of lean protein doesn't need to be high in fat. Um, if you got a guy who's getting very hungry during the games and you want to give him a little more fat before and see how he does, then that's reasonable, see, because he's getting hungry during the game. That's an individual thing. Uh, but to have a snack at halftime is important for baseball. Sucking on seeds in the dugout is not in your best interest for performance, but if it is keeping you away from the tobacco, then I guess I'll say amen. Is that a sodium issue? You know, with the uh, amount of with the amount of sodium that's that's with, and yeah. I they killed my my gums. I mean, that's why I wasn't yeah. a big seeds guy because yeah. I I would just keep pounding them away, and then my gums would get raw with seeds. Yeah, I think we all wonder about sodium in that way. But I read a great article about white crystals. Is it the sugar or the sodium that's killing us? Yeah. And it just really kind of hits home with your comment there. So highly recommend it if you wanted to read that. Love it. I don't, if somebody does not have blood pressure issues, I'm not going to worry about sodium as a young person. Obviously at our age, we want to think about it a little bit different. You know, I'm where you are a little older than you in time. So I wouldn't say the 46, 47 something. I'm up in that next decade. So yeah, I, I don't need to do high sodium, but I'm also not sweating like these guys are, right? And so for some athletes, having that extra sodium helps them hold their water balance. So during the game, I mean, we would have, you know, we'd have fruits, fruit available. We'd have, you know, loose granola. You know, is that right during the game to have some of those options available? Especially you deal sure. with your bench guys or your pitchers that are going to go in later in the game. I felt like it was important for them if, if they needed to get something still early innings. As a player, personally, I couldn't have put anything. I was so wound tight playing that I couldn't have put anything in my mouth. I probably would have puked it up while I was playing. See, but guys like you, I would try to get you to try something like, you know how guys have seeds and it looks like rub? Get something like some dried tart cherries and put that in for your rub. You know, chew on those just slow and steady and see if something like that helps them. I will say that you're talking about players who don't always burn the calories that they thought they were going to burn. And they don't think about it like that, but Jackie does. Okay. You know, they, they either need to work out heavy after the game somehow or not eat as much. You know, you there's a fine balance there. How many calories that guy needs. I had a female athlete, a softball player one time that felt like chocolate was her go-to ergogenic aid, right? She put on 15 pounds over the course of one season. She was a pitcher. So, I mean, it's the same thing for men, right? If you're not 
see in the playtime that you thought you were going to have. You were prepped up, ready to go. Pro athletes do this all the time. If you're prepped up, ready to go, then your butt needs to be on a bike later because you didn't play. What about post game then? Okay, as soon as they're done, rec- yeah. or post workout, you know, is it still trying to get calories within a certain amount of time? Once we're done, it might be weight room activity, might be game activity, practice activity. Is is it still that window of thirty to forty five minutes? I mean, is recommended to try to get some calories in after activity? Yeah, I certainly still use that time. Every then again, you'll read an article that's trying to debuke it, but I don't think. I don't think that uh, it, what's going to hurt, right? Get this recovery motion started. And to do that, I like to see athletes ha- have at least 40 to 60 grams of carbohydrate. If they're a bigger athlete, maybe a little more and at least 15, 20 grams, maybe 25 grams of good quality protein. Um, good quality protein is usually synonymous with an animal based protein, but something like whey is perfect for that. Again, make sure it's clean. Um, it is, even though we consider it a food, you should consider it a dietary supplement. Make sure it's NSF or uh, Informed Choice certified. And there are plenty of protein choices out there that are reasonable that have that third-party verification. Um, you could also just choose to have something like a little hammy sandwich, right? Doesn't have to be expensive protein powder. Um, so two slices of whole grain bun and a couple ounces of, of good quality lunch meat, whether it's turkey or ham. Uh, maybe a piece of fruit with that would be an excellent recovery. You know, we talked about maybe protein myths earlier, but what are some other things that you're seeing the athletes that come to you that maybe they're deficient, that they need that, you know, especially like a high school athlete right now that might be listening in, that's going to go to college. What are some things that they can work on right now to, to help them that maybe you see a, a lot of athletes are deficient when they get to you? So, so funny that you follow the recovery question with that exact question, because what I see are these guys are drinking 55, 60 grams of protein and nothing else. And maybe that's after they had a 20 gram on the start, you know, of protein. And it's like, good Lord, that's 80 grams of protein. That's easily, even for a pretty good sized guy, half of the protein that they need uh, for the day. So I, I think, I really think this world is afraid of carbohydrates right now. And I don't think that's accurate for everybody. Um, I don't think everybody needs to be afraid of them. Men that have metabolic um, syndrome kinds of body, meaning pretty good sized gut, right? Uh, and maybe triglycerides a little high, maybe HDL is a little low. They've got some of that stuff going on. Then they have every right to want to restrict carbohydrate a little bit. But, you know, if you're not insulin resistant, I, as a young athlete, I'm pretty sure in season and in, in the preseason, you should not be worried about um, being afraid of carbohydrate. You don't have to overdo it. I'm not saying that either. I think there are some good recommendations out there. Well, that's the key to the human body, right? It needs balance. You know, once, right. once you throw it out of balance with anything, you know, I would use that with players. Like you can get out of balance with sleep. You can get out of balance with water intake. You can get out of balance with, with calorie intake. You can get out of balance with, uh, you know, exercise. I mean, too much exercise isn't good either. You know, it's about finding what that right balance is for you as a human being, correct? Yeah. And, and what your goals are. Yeah. Right. So, and I, and I think we have to be targeted like that. What works for one person is not necessarily going to work for another. Um, and, and I agree with you. You want to be sure you're getting all your nutrients. Okay. I want to do like a supplement speed round here. I'm just going to throw, we talked about protein, <laughs> but I'm going to throw something out there and I want you to tell me just your thoughts on this, if we can, if you'll indulge me with this. So creatine. Uh, proven over time works for some people. It doesn't need to be out of balance. Probably not as high as the 20 grams a day over a long haul. So five grams a day. You There's so many different, different products out there. What's, what's a creatine product? If they're looking at products and cause there's so many different strains of creatine that are out now, what would you recommend? Because I was a creatine monohydrate. It helped me as a player. I put I yeah. put 15 pounds on in one summer because of retention of water and recovery. My recovery was better. I wasn't as sore. So is that is that still good creatine monohydrate? Yep, I would go with the creatine monohydrate. I think over time it's it's probably the best proven. Um, you know, realize there are responders and non-responders. Not everybody's going to have the same experience you had. And and one would hope that when an athlete's trying to gain weight, that they actually have changed some other things that would also contribute to the 15 pounds. And it was so nutrient. I mean, I, I was sure. staying on top of the nutrition side of it too. It wasn't, sure. it wasn't a fail safe for me. 
it was it was like a last gasp for me that I was doing everything right, eating wise. I was I was doing protein supplementation. And then Nebraska football, this is back in the early 90s, Nebraska football was starting to put out research on, on creatine, and so I started to read on it. And I, I did try to do a good job of studying anything that I was going to put in my body, so I at least knew how my body was going to handle it. And so I knew, okay, this is what Nebraska football was doing, so I started Spoonful of Creatine before <laughs> I started working out, was taking it with... Uh, with cranberry juice to help with hydration. And then I was drinking a ton of water uh, because I was like, okay, some of these guys are blowing their hamstrings out and I don't want that to happen. So I did try to, I did a lot of research on it before I started taking it. Yeah. I think most of us aren't very good at hydrating just as a general rule and creatine would certainly make you uh, feel that a whole lot more. So. And I was going to ask you that too. What part does hydration play in feeling full as well? Cause is it still, People may think they're hungry, but they're actually dehydrated. Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I haven't read enough research on that to know to know what we think. What what we think is drink. Yeah, I have my enough. water bottle. I I, I speak on the circuit a lot, food. so I carry my water with me. This was life changing for me as a coach when I was trying to get players to drink more water because that was in our 10 rules of recovery was at least a gallon of water a day. So I would recommend that they carried water with them everywhere. So I started to do it. I don't even know how much water I drink. I know it's the right amount, but I know I'm not, I don't feel hungry because of meal, you know, meal frequency, but then I don't feel hungry. I think because I'm, I'm drinking a ton of water also. Well, all of your fluids count too. I want us to be sure not just that water is awesome. Of course it is, but I think we're seeing more and more athletes not drinking milk because of all the bad publication, not publication, but, but pub, you know. Uh, hey, is that a myth? Cause that my, I have an 18 year old and a 15 year old and they don't drink, they don't intake any diet dairy, hardly at all. Dairy. If you look at all the stuff on dairy, it has been checked something like 17 times between the cow and the shelf for safety. And these fruitcakes that say that it's full of pus and you know they just try to gross you out with things that just make you go really you know kids need healthy bones and they need the nutrient profile that milk has and so drinking eight or 10 12 ounces of skim milk or one percent milk with a meal is a great way to bump that nutrient profile and especially for kids trying to gain weight and get buff that's what they all say right i'm trying to get buff okay well we got to gain some muscle to do that Okay, and this this next one's gonna this will feed into uh, maybe the not. What about beta alanine? Oh, um, <laughs> it makes me laugh that anybody would put something in their body that makes them tingle. But okay, that's I do like the tingle. Working. I'm sorry, like I'm right, I'm, right? I'm throwing it out there. I do like the tingle, but yeah, yeah. So I have a great colleague who's PhD trained in exercise science. And when first studies came out on beta alanine, he said, I told you, I've been telling you this stuff, there's something to it because the change you see in people right now, that's anecdotal, but there is some research behind it too. So as somebody is in a, a heavy lifting phase and trying to gain lean mass and that kind of stuff, I think using a little bit of beta alanine is probably okay. I don't, we don't have any studies on it for taking it in a very long haul. So I don't think it's something that you just make part of your everyday just because I think, think you need to be intentional about it, but there's probably some, there's some good data there to back that up. Caffeine. <laughs> yep. More for endurance exercise than anything. I guess a lot of athletes are using it to get jacked up again, probably don't need as much of it as they think they need. Is there uh, too much? I mean, it yeah. Yeah, because where's the uh, threshold? Even, I know everybody's different and the bodies are different. And so some can probably take more than others. But where is kind of that threshold yeah. where maybe you want to kick it back a little bit? Yeah. So we think three to five milligrams per kilogram body weight as a pre-workout is probably enough in an hour before activity. Um, ISSN, the International Society for Sports Nutrition, just came out with their new position statement on this. So if somebody wants another resource, they could look that up. It's free. Um, you know, it would do a nice job of looking over the literature and helping you understand what it is and what it isn't. But I know their, their outcome and mine, what I believe is that it helps more in endurance sports than it does really in, in sports. Not that baseball is not endurance, but it's sure not like running a marathon. Right. Um, the NCAA and other 
sports organizations limit how much of that can be in your urine. I don't think any of us have done the test of how much can I drink to get my urine up to 15 picograms or whatever it is, right? So therefore, what's a reasonable, more than probably 500 or so milligrams might not be what you meant to do. And I would tell guys, I'm like, hey, be careful the pre-workout you take because you may trigger a drug test. You're going to get drug tested. So so be careful. Like you may be putting something in there that's probably going to trigger a drug test is going to make you look like you're on amphetamines. Yeah. Well, you are basically. So, you know, there are just a lot of horror stories out there. Again, we probably don't want to take time to go through those, but you just got to be aware something that's a pre-workout that says it's going to give you more pumps and that kind of stuff. You probably ought to really check out what's in it. Okay. Vitamins are, you know, and, and I know everybody has, what are some of the, maybe the myths out there about vitamin supplementation? Well, I don't think you ever want to replace a diet with a pill. So I I do think that it's not a terrible little insurance policy if you don't, if you feel like you're not able to eat certain food groups or something like that. And vitamin D is getting a bunch of play right now. I mean, is that, is vitamin D okay? As it probably should be. Yeah, I think, uh, so I live in central Ohio in the winter, as you can tell from my winter white, right? Um, so, uh, this time of year in Ohio, we don't get enough direct sunlight to make vitamin D through our skin. So supplementing with a thousand, 2000, I use a day is just fine. Um, if you lived in Florida, I suspect those numbers look a little different. I haven't looked for the literature that shows what it is in different places. Um, you know, Northern places probably taking 4,000 or 5,000 a day is fine. So, uh, again, those are when you can't be outside. Baseball is one of those sports where the fellows are outside from early in the spring through summer and into late into fall. So I wouldn't think that time of year supplementation would be as necessary. But, again, if you don't know the answer to that for yourself, get a blood test for crying out loud. They can show you what it looks like. What about vitamin B? So the B vitamins are found widely spread in a number of the foods we eat. Which, which um, ones are those? Know, yeah, so thiamine, niacin, riboflavin, is that what you mean? No, the food, uh, like cause all the just, foods, just to, to bring it back. So what, sure. what? So we, we will find more of those B vitamins in the grains. You're going to find some like the riboflavin and whatnot and things like milk. Eggs are a great nutrient-dense food all around. Eat the yolk. Don't waste those nutrients, right? Um, uh you know, you'll find riboflavin and whatnot in some of the meats. So just a well-balanced diet, a plate. You know, I try to encourage athletes to think about a plate. And I've got my hands up showing you a plate. And I'm going to cut that dude in fours. If I'm trying to lose weight, I'm going to cut it in fours. And I'm going to put meat on a quarter of it and carb on a quarter of it and bright colors on the other half. If I'm trying to gain weight, then it might be almost half carbohydrate. Right. And, and cut back on the other pieces. But proteins, the, enough is enough. You're going to eat about a quarter to a third of the plate and protein each time you eat. No more. You don't need a big steak. You need part of it. Yep. In fact, slice the rest of it up and have it at snack time tomorrow. Huh. What an idea. I think athletes don't think like that, though. They just go ahead and eat it. But that's part of our job as, as coaches and professionals is to relay that information because you don't know what you don't know. Like, I, I, I don't think you should expect a high school kid to show up on a college campus and have any idea about any of this because it's not taught in, in the schools. It's not, not really taught about anymore in grade school or high school. I mean, when we were growing up, you at least got it a little bit in health class. Kids don't get as much of that anymore, which is sad, um, but I just think you fully expect your college freshmen to show up not knowing anything about this. Yeah, I I always say it would be great to set up a class for college freshmen that's a basic nutrition course. Well, basic basic life skills. We we do have life skills. Nutrition, budgeting money, taxes, any of the stuff that's going to allow them to be an efficient human being once they leave you, like they... They just don't get enough of that in school. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't spend enough of, in my opinion, we don't spend enough of our life skills class on nutrition. Yes. How's yeah. that? Yes. I think you could give them more nutrition, cooking, that kind of stuff. Yes, for sure. Because it's a habit. You know, again, some kids aren't brought up how to eat healthy. Some kids aren't brought up how to cook. Um, right. These are all things that are going to help them have a way more productive life and a long, the longevity piece to it, you know, if, if you want to live a healthier life at, at 80 years old, if you're lucky enough to get there and not have to be, have tubes in your body and being convalescent, <laughs> seriously, like 
Nobody yeah, thinks about that at the time, but that's what it is. It's a long path. You you have a long journey to get it right to where on the back end of it, you're going to enjoy your, your later years much more than you would if you're laying in a hospital bed. Yeah, I got to tell you, as an athletic trainer, that conversation happened a lot. Yeah. Because these kids would dislocate a shoulder or something and they thought it was okay to go ahead and play. And it's like, dude, don't you want to play football with your son when you're like 45? <laughs> so, yeah. And we talked about this beforehand. Uh, Dr. Lund at, at Iowa was a professor. He's a pitching coach at Iowa. But he did want me to ask you about um, gelatin and vitamin C supplements for as far as strengthening ligaments. Sure, sure. And so, you know, collagen right now as supplements – um, is a big deal. I think the jury is still out on whether Jello per se is as effective as collagen proteins. Um, you know, and then the other school of thought there that some people buy into, and there's a little research on, is that if you're eating adequate protein, you're going to have enough of the rebuilding blocks anyway. So, you know, again, protein, and uh, you need enough. And I think that is about twice of what a normal person needs in terms of the RDA. And it might be even a little bit higher than that when you're in a healing phase. Um, I was reading something just the other day that had their athletes up to 2.5 grams per kilogram protein for healing. And that's, that's a pretty good chunk of your diet if you're trying to keep your calories in the right space. So again, you know, anything we eat that's protein is going to have some collagen in it. If you want to shortcut that system and take collagen as a supplement and trying to do it with food, we know that gelatin is higher in collagen, uh, but again, not high enough in protein that we count it as a protein food, right? So I know there are some companies out there with nice collagen supplements and they already include vitamin C. It has been proven that vitamin C helps the process. Well, of course it does. Vitamin C is a cross link for collagen, right? So um, yeah, getting, getting a nice varied diet can do it all. But if somebody feels like adding a little bit of that to it helps, amen. I don't think it's going to hurt them as long as it's a good quality. What role does sleep play in all this? I mean, if you're doing things right and maybe not getting enough sleep, does it even really matter? Well, that's a great question. I would like to think that it still matters. So that's my bias, right? However, I'm with you. Sleep is an important part of it. Rest is an important part of it, not just sleep. Uh, but not overdoing it with your body. You know, you have some individuals who are so motivated, they're working out two or three times a day, and that is not in your best interest in terms of that muscle recovering itself and able to to heal and be stronger and have uh, a more powerful contraction, right? You're like, meh. So, and I think sleep goes into that. Have you seen the Canadians? Um, they're, doing, they're doing a regular sleep program with their elite athletes. So that's a resource that's out there that I would suggest if uh, coaches are looking for another resource that you go look at. But basically, they've got their elite athletes even napping. <laughs> I think you're seeing kind of cool it now. The, the NFL and the NBA, um, the NFL, I think they've got some sleep areas for their guys now. And the NBA is changing their travel plans where it used to be after a game, they would get on the, the plane and go where now they're staying the night in the town that they're in. And I know with COVID things have changed, but they were changing to let their players get a good night's sleep in the hotel where they were at and then traveling the day of if they needed to. That's awesome. I bet they're feeding them well too. Yes. Right. The days of I'm going to punish my team by not feeding them after the game and putting their butts on the bus and we're going home, you know, now you're sounding a little bit like a temper tantrum. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, and not looking out for their best interest. And I, right. my dad was a coach, and he would do that, you know, playing at Evansville. If we didn't play well, we weren't going to eat. And, you know, when you would start to research, it's like, okay, there's a there's a line that now it's like, okay, now you're just being abusive to it, which back then they didn't know. And now there's so much information out there. It's like, okay, you're now being abusive to your athletes. It's abusive if you're not feeding them psychologically and physiologically yes. just saying yes so yeah i agree but you know every, every then again you run into a coach who still has kind of those old ways and just makes me shake my head so it is what it is find ways to motivate them right has the human body or brain evolved over time or is it still the same one we're dealing with when we're sitting in caves i think we've learned a lot whether or not it's evolved hmm. i'm sure that's an individual thing too am i allowed to make that joke <laughs> I, the, the stuff we're learning right now about the microbiome just shakes my world. Yeah. It just, from 
our skin to our different body cavities to our gut. Wow. Right. And I'm sure those existed back then. I'm sure it's changed back then, but it's just stuff that we're learning. So that's one that demonstrates my point about how much more we're learning. Therefore, we feel like things are changing and evolving, but I think it's also the information highway is evolving. And fascia is getting some play now in the baseball community. I mean, have you dove much into that side of it with the fascia? No, but I'm not surprised. I think that's been there for a long time. It's just been um, probably poorly studied. Yeah, I think it's a, a it's a lot of information to tackle when you're starting to dive into it. Um, it's one of those things when you start to read, it's like, okay, I've got to I'm going to have to bear down on this if I really want to digest what they're trying to get across. But it is, it's starting to get some play in the baseball community now. Yes, yeah, certainly no substitute for knowing your anatomy with stuff like that as a practitioner. I read something interesting. Can you talk about the Food in an Innovation Center? Oh, yeah, at Ohio State? Yes. Yeah. So uh, a number of years ago, there's, you know, just a wide variety of departments on campus that address nutrition and food and food safety and just all these different things. And, uh, you know, a a group of leaders in nutrition and medicine decided that instead of us all living in these different silos, let's find a way to bring those silos together. And so the Food Innovation Center is is, uh, where that landed. And it, it has helped a lot of people get their funding Um, It helps us celebrate. It just helps in a number of ways. So it was a a great brainiac idea uh, to do that. But to be part of the Food Innovation Center, you don't pay to be a part of it. uh, But to be a member at different levels or whatever, it depends on kind of your position in the university and some of that, which... What is the ultimate goal there besides streamlining information between different disciplines? Is it to to feed more people? I mean, is it to feed them better? I mean, what what are the ultimate goals So Ohio State's a land-grant university, right? Part of our mission is to take care of the people of Ohio and beyond um, in terms of communities. So, of course, a piece of that is about feeding folks who don't have the money to feed themselves, uh, making sure that we have good, healthy food available in some of these food deserts. I mean, it's some of the socioeconomic stuff that we want to stand and be good for, um, but it's also about food development. You know, how do we change the nutrition level of this tomato uh, to have it feed more people this certain nutrient or help people with prostate disease or, you know, all of those things? It just brings all of those worlds together. And, you know, before that, you had to know somebody over in food science to kind of get engaged at that level. Well, now you go to the FIC website and you see people in all these different areas and it, it helps them work as uh um, collaborative teams to get grants. So it brings that not just the university more funding, but our ability to find more things because there's more money to do the research, right? Making innovative pretzels. What? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff it's up to. And maybe this is off topic, but I think about it a lot with the, the elementary education piece. You know, how can we get government on board to feeding the schools better again? what it comes down to is somebody has to believe enough in it to fund it. Um, And I don't think it's just about food. I think our little people are just so physically inactive. No wonder we have this obesity epidemic. We forget to address it with food and exercise. Look what's happened to phys ed. Crazy. I said it the other day. I sent it out on Twitter. I'm like, if this isn't a wake up call for government to bring back better nutrition in the grade schools and PE every day in the grade schools. I don't know what a wake up, what I don't think we need more of a wake up call than COVID right now and how we haven't prepared for something like this to happen by insulating the people that live in America. You know, the ones that are healthy are a little more insulated from this than others, which is a sad thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I do. I do wish that our schools at all levels would stay focused on movement and nutrition as pillars to good, good health and, and good human beings. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something along the way that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but then you look up, you know, maybe 12 months or two years later, and it may be one of the best things that happened to you? Oh, I think anytime you're changing jobs and you're maybe unhappy and that's what's got you thinking about moving on and and you move on, you're like, Oh good Lord, that was the best thing that could happen to me. (laughs) You know, it didn't feel that way at the time. So Uh, yeah, 
plenty of those. What morning or evening routines do you have that you like? That I mean, you you're very successful. What what do you have any set morning or evening routines that you have that you like? So if I yeah I, I know that that we're just gonna be on uh, voice, but uh, if I showed you what I'm looking at, I live on a farm. So um, I, I often say sometimes I don't intentionally exercise. I, I do enjoy enjoy a good Spartan race here and there with my kids. So it's not to say I'm lazy like that, but and my marathons happened back in the '90s. I'm not worried about those now. Uh, but I'm I'm not lazy. I you know. If they're bailing hay, I go bale hay. If there's snow to shovel, I'm on it. I mean, so I like that. I am morning-wise, I try to get up at a decent hour. This COVID has really tested all of us in that way. Um, but I'm a, I'm a one cup of coffee that's real in the morning, and then the rest of it is decaf for part of my fluid stuff. I like coffee a lot. Um, and I got to check my email because I teach online. And uh, COVID's not helping any of that either, right? So, yeah, there's nothing there that that is uh, inspiring in terms of I don't get up and walk on the treadmill every morning or anything like that. Well, marathoning is inspiring. I mean, what got you into marathoning? Good Lord. As a young adult, when you first get those first few jobs and you've landed in places that are small towns, you got to find a way to entertain yourself. And a friend of mine said, hey, let's do a marathon. I said, dude, I'm on that. Let's do it. So I've run three of them, but now what I know, and I don't expect you to know my research emphasis, but I do female athlete triad stuff where women who aren't fueling well enough, men now too, right, um, are are actually doing damage to their bodies. And now what I know, I'm about 5'2", I'm a little drink of water. I'm osteopenic and I'm in my 50s and it makes me go, dang it. And it's probably that marath- those marathon days that contributed a lot to that in my lumbar spine. Well, what is the research showing? I mean, since you, you're passionate about this, and we have coaches that, that do ultra stuff, that do marathons, what are you recommending during those events like to help stay away with maybe some of the irreparable damage that might happen? Sure, you got to be fueling right. So now we call this condition REDS, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. And you'll see it in some of your athletes, some of your guys who don't eat enough and they stay thin all the time, which... I, I know, coached a ton a- of them. Yeah, that's a thing. And they feel good about their bodies, but they may not be as healthy as they could be if they would get a better balance in terms of their nutrient intake. And so it's a calculation that we do with people. We look at their calorie intake and we subtract from it their calories and exercise. And and you want them to be, oh, for a guy, if you could get them up around 40, 45, 45 is calories per kilogram of lean mass is considered, you know, the, kind of the standard that we're reaching for. So And sometimes guys just don't realize they're not eating enough. So they'll eat it. Um, Sometimes women are doing it intentionally to change their weight or manage their weight. Guys can do that too. I don't mean to sound sexist in any of those. It's just classical of how those are happening. Uh, But yeah, uh, you know, can change, uh, can change your psychology actually uh, can have an impact on some of your hormones, your endocrine system. You could have higher cortisol because of it and not really realize it. Well, then that goes there to, is that affecting the way my body looks and where my body fat is stored? Does that affect my cholesterol levels? How about my iron levels or that, you know, just this whole horde of things that we think it might be affecting now. It's not just menstrual cycle and bone. You mentioned blood test earlier. So say somebody wants to get their blood tested. How do they go about doing that? Go to the doctor and be like, Hey, I'd like to, to get my, you know, where, where's probably the best place for them is like, if they want to get a blood test and have it screened, you know, where to do that. And then maybe what they're trying to look for. Sure. So, you know, if you're working with athletes who have a team position, that's probably the person to turn to first, uh, and, and ask them if they can get uh, kind of a blood based physical, if you will. You know, I think athletes, even young athletes, should know what their cholesterol values look like, uh, should know what their triglycerides look like. Are my HDLs where they need to be? As a young person that's doing a lot of exercise, if those things are low, that's a heads up for later life, right? And so uh, I think good for them to know, especially if the genetics are there. You know, knowing your iron values in terms of hematocrit hemoglobin, knowing your ferritin values is what we currently use kind of as a precursor to anemia. Uh, and I think athletes with a heavy load of aerobic training have a hard time keeping those numbers up. Um, the vitamin D that we mentioned earlier is, is something that I would have looked at. Um, the other things that we would look at are things that are more symptomatic. You know, if somebody's got certain symptoms you might look for, 
Um, but those are kind of the general biomarkers that we're using these days. What are some other books and, and maybe podcasts that people can dive into that'll help with sports nutrition? So Nancy Clark is one of the pioneers in our field, and she has a pretty easy read on sports nutrition uh, that athletes can look at and learn from. There are, there are a number of books out there on sports nutrition. Again, um, I mentioned Tavis's, Tavis Piatoli's um, Eat to Win website um, has a, just a, a wide variety of things on there. You would find endorsed books as well as podcasts. And I, I think my, many of his podcasts are free. Um, you know, there is no shortage of podcasts. I encourage you to look at the credentials and education of the person who's offering the podcast. What are some final thoughts or what would I miss? You can fill in some gaps on some questions that maybe I missed on, but what are your final thoughts? So I think hydration is a thing for all athletes. I think you want to get your protein right. If I think about that hydration, let me finish that thought. Awful lot of energy drink use going on. I'm okay with using it kind of as your pre-workout or as your pre-game if you want to use a little bit. I don't think that hey, let me. What about Rockstar. when you're looking at those like sugar? I mean, because that's a big piece. I would be like, guys, like look at that. How much sugar is in there? And you like, I know Starbucks is big and Dunkin' Donuts and people are showing their coffee drinks. You look, there's 32 grams of sugar in those drinks. So like. When, so, when you're so looking when you at think, the ingredients, what what's reasonable grams of sugar for something that maybe you should be putting in your body? So one of the activities I do with folks that like drinks, like at my daughter hates this little thing, right? Hates it. She'll say hates it. So you take that 32 grams of sugar and divide that by four. That's how many teaspoons of sugar are in that drink. And I get a sugar bowl and have them measure out eight teaspoons of sugar and ask them, when would you ever put that in your mouth and just say, mm, good, right? I hope that changes things for some people. What I was starting to say there on the energy drinks are 24 ounces of something like a rock star is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about one little something like Red Bull, right? I'm not talking about what we see in reality. So same thing with the Starbucks, you know, 400, 500 calories in one drink is not rocket science. We probably shouldn't be just relying on that so heavy. Heavy is keyword there. <laughs> so hydration, I think, is, is something that a lot of athletes miss. Um, and I think doing fluids with their meals is an important part of that. Sports drinks are designed for use around sports. You shouldn't be using that as your breakfast juice, right? Um, they're heavy in electrolytes to help us with performance, so... Uh, yeah. What else? Protein enough is enough. We talked about it. I like it when your when your carbohydrates are a good quality and I don't think we need to be afraid of fat. We don't want to overdo it. We want to be balanced. What are some healthy fats? I mean, some ways to get healthy fats. Sure. Any of your monounsaturated fats are what we usually miss in the American diet. So nuts, seeds, olive oils, olives, avocados, avocados. Thank you right, are, are the ones that we typically go to. Anytime you're using nuts and seeds, the fats in them are going to be fairly healthy. So if you're looking to put a healthy fat in a smoothie, put some chia seed or something like that in it. Um, you know, those are, that has other nutrients in it that are good for you. Um, sesame seeds, any of those kinds of things, as long as your body, body tolerates seeds, of course. So yeah, yeah, that's why I like using exchange planning. There's a list for people to look at and all these things. And I think it really helps direct them. Dr. Buell, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me. This is awesome. Uh, it's going to help uh, a ton of people. So thanks for coming on with me. Well, it's been fun. Anybody, uh, you know, I, I, I easily welcome questions if people. Got yeah. If, if somebody words. wants to reach out to you, where's the best place to find you? Sure. My email. Um, I joke that we're all a number at Ohio State. So my number seven, Buell.7, B-U-E-L-L.7 at OSU.edu. Yeah. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks for asking me to come on. Huge thanks to Dr. Buell for jumping on with me. I've spent a lifetime trying to learn about proper nutrition, so she got my juices going. She taught me a few things and just as importantly reaffirmed my beliefs on nutrition. was just happy that I was disseminating the right information to my players over my 22-year coaching career. I hope you have writer's cramp from this episode. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West and ABC Office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore abca, Instagram at ryanbrownlee17, 
or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.